tell you, I'm seriously worried that the notes I do have are on Morland's college paper, which means I'm totally repping for the wrong college today. <laughs> However, I will get over my slight uh, confusion as to the piece of paper I've used. And in a moment, I will read to you from the text. I'm going to make a few remarks in relation to the text itself, probably for about five minutes. And then I'm going to lead us in an ancient practice of reading the scriptures that is known as Lexio Divina. It's a form of reading the scriptures that is very much a prayerful way of reading the scriptures. It involves hearing the scriptures read multiple times and listening, in fact, for the author of those scriptures, listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us what the word is from the text that he wants to speak into our lives. So instead of you guys depending on a preacher to tell you, here's the main point of the text, which absolutely has its place if you see me. Normally up here I am preaching because I fundamentally believe that has its place. Sometimes there's space for doing something a bit different and that's the plan today. So I'm gonna read you the whole portion of text which is allocated for today and uh, then make a number of remarks and then I will lead us in this ancient practice. So if you have Bibles, I'm reading from Matthew 16, and I'm reading from verse 21. If you've got Bibles, the church Bibles, which there's some at the back, John's waving around, feel free to stick a hand up if you need a Bible. We're on page 983, which is Matthew 16. So this is Matthew 16, page 983, and I'm reading from verse 21 through to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
So this passage comes in the context now of Peter in the passage before having just recognized Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one who is coming on behalf of Israel and ultimately on behalf of the whole world to bring initially Israel, but eventually the whole world back to God. Peter has realized that Jesus is the Messiah, and now we have in this text Jesus' revelation that he must go to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem where, for sure, he will be killed, because you cannot stir up as much trouble as Jesus has stirred up with the religious people and not find that it ends badly. And so Jesus begins to explain to his disciples in verses 21 through to 20, uh, well, in fact, the whole of um, that paragraph is verse 21. He begins to explain he's got to go to Jerusalem. He's got to suffer many things at the hands of the religious people and that he must die. And Peter reacts to this. Peter reacts to this. He remonstrates with Jesus and he says, no way. Sacrifice is never the right choice for you, Jesus. Death is not the right choice. You of all people, you are the Messiah. You cannot sacrifice. We need you. You cannot sacrifice your life to the death. And Jesus rebukes him strongly and he says, to avoid death, to avoid that ultimate self-sacrifice effectively is one of these human concerns, which is the language he uses in verse 23. To avoid self-sacrifice, that's a human concern. He says, if you want to set your heart on pleasing God, if you want to set your heart on participating in the concerns of God, that's also the language of 23, then you enter death. To save your life, to avoid death, to avoid going to Jerusalem, that's the things of humanity. But if you want to participate in God's purposes, you go to death. And then we have verses 24 through to 28, which is Jesus' continuation of what he's saying to the disciples. And and he says more about what it means to go to death, that suddenly it's not just Jesus who goes to death in Jerusalem, but if you want to be my disciple, come and die. Come follow me, but it ends in death. We don't say that very often to people, do we? Come and be a Christian, come and die. But we should. We should, if we really, really read the text. That's what it is, to follow Christ, is a call to come and die. Our sermon series um, has been focused on a number of spiritual practices, and the one marked today for us to talk about from this passage is sacrifice. But to be honest, it's not about sacrificing things like chocolates, things like red wine, things like sleep. You know, all the things you think, I could sacrifice these things. It's not about that. Repeatedly, this passage is about sacrifice of everything. The only language the passage can use is death. And so in verse 24, we have, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross because this was to be the instrument of Jesus' death. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, whoever chooses to lose their life, whoever sacrifices their life, For me, Jesus says, we'll find it. And so the question I think raised by this passage is very simple. It's this. Will you, will I die for Jesus? Jesus. 
or will I try to give him less than everything? In this nation, we don't necessarily expect to die physically for Jesus. Although it is possible that there are some in this room who will have to make that choice one day. There are many believers in many nations of the world where that is exactly the choice. You get baptized. You are signing yourself over to an early death. But the choice you make is Jesus. The choice you make is Jesus at the expense of everything else. But for you and for me, probably, most of us at least, it is going to be a series of little deaths. It will be choosing not to have the thing we want, because Jesus has made clear that we can't have that thing and obedience to him. Those little deaths, I think, are not about a discipline of sacrifice. I'm not even convinced there's such a thing as a discipline of sacrifice. That implies we are deciding what to sacrifice. And then we're making a thing out of that sacrifice as if it's somehow going to draw us closer to God. And I don't think that's the deal with a Christian life. I don't think sacrifice is optional. Sacrifice is the whole thing. <laughs> Living for Jesus is the whole thing. It's not so much about a discipline as it is about obedience. That when he calls, when he says enough of that, that we say, okay, I want you more than I want that. The idea for the thing that we sacrifice, I think, doesn't come from us, it comes from him. It is he who calls it of us in the same way that in verse 21, when Jesus goes to the cross, when he goes to Jerusalem, he goes not because he thinks, oh, I know, it's a good idea for a prophet to die in Jerusalem. That will be a good sacrifice. The Father will be pleased. That's not why. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die because he knows the scriptures make clear that it is the Father's will. It's obedience. It's not like, oh, let me make a sacrifice and please God. It's not that. God's already made clear in the, in the Old Testament, look, actually, the deal's not sacrifices. I want a pure heart. The son goes to Jerusalem to die because the father has said in the text, in the Bible, that it is his will. Jesus would have read the Old Testament. He would have seen the Messiah must die on behalf of his people. And that's why he sacrifices. And I think it's the same for us. We don't just sacrifice because we think it's a good thing to do. We sacrifice out of obedience that when he calls, we come. When he says die, we say okay. So in verse 24, where it talks about taking up our cross, it's not just something we think is a good idea to sacrifice. It's not just something we think, oh, I could kind of live without. Let me sacrifice that. It's not that. Taking up your cross is also not those horrible things in life that you're kind of like, oh, it's just my cross to bear, my really irritating friend, or my really irritating job, or any of that stuff. It's not that stuff. To take up our cross is to put the reality of our own death on our backs and to walk all the way for his sake. It's to follow Jesus with our death on our back, as it were, until... We're dead to everything but him. That's the Christian life. Come and die. Sacrifice is not a nice spiritual principle that we can decide to do and decide not to do. It's not something to add to your menu of spiritual disciplines. It's not something even that has value in itself. Its value is precisely in the fact that it is obedience. 
It is a movement of love. I sacrifice because I love him. I give this up because actually compared with him, it's as nothing. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now that, in terms of preaching, is all I intend to say about this text, because now I want to invite you into the text for yourselves. I don't want you to hear my voice interpreting it for you. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I'm only going to read some of the verses in the whole reading. I'm going to read from verses 24 to 27. Lexio Divina, as this practice is called, translates directly as sacred reading. It's been a practice of the church for generations. We certainly can trace it back to the Benedictine movement in the fifth century. It's a way of reading scripture slowly and allowing it to settle in our souls. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to read a passage as long as we did today. Read it once, think about it, go off on our way. Or it's Sunday, so read it once hear a preacher think about it, maybe, possibly, think about it after the sermon and go on our way. Very often it doesn't settle in our being, but the practice of Lexio Divina is a way of repeatedly listening to the text in a manner that's prayerful, inviting the Spirit to speak that text to us. So that's what we're going to do today. We have maybe 10, 12 minutes to play with. And I will read the text a number of times I almost never say, close your Bible, especially in this room. Normally, I'm the one going, get your Bible out. I'm going to refer to this verse and this verse. But actually, for many people in the room, it's going to be helpful at this point to close your Bible and allow the text to come to you through your ears rather than your eyes. If you want to keep the Bible open, please feel free to do so. But generally speaking, for a lot of people, it's actually now easier to hear the text. There will be rhythms of me reading the text, then inviting you to think about something, to reflect on something, to pray about something. After that, there will be silence. I won't leave you in that silence for more than about three or four minutes at a time maximum. So please don't panic, because you're not going to be left thinking, oh no, was I, did I miss something? Did she give an instruction and now I've forgotten what it was? I will lead you all of the way. For those of you who are extroverts in the room, this will probably suit the introverts better, this kind of practice. So let me encourage you, if you're an extrovert, there's real value in this practice. And it's only going to be a maximum of 12 minutes. So I figure we can probably all do silence for that kind of time. So why don't you do what you need to do right now to get present to the Lord? That means to be able to turn your attention towards him. That might mean moving somewhere else in the room. If you want to pick up your chair and move it, please feel free. If you want to go and sit on the floor in the corner, if you want to grab a beanbag, there's mats over there if you want to lie down. However you want to be in this room, please move now so that you can get comfortable and able to focus your attention on the Lord. It might help you to close your eyes. And now just to let go of your distractions. Those things that are troubling you can wait for 10 minutes or so.
And become aware of your body. Become aware of the tense places in your body and choose to come to a place of relaxation. And even now as I pray, why don't you ask the Lord to help you notice what he's saying to you? Father, we thank you for the gift of your text which testifies of your Messiah, Jesus. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who enlivens that text to us. We praise you that this is not a dead text about a dead God, but it is a living text enlivened by your Spirit about a God who even now lives and reigns. So with confidence, we ask that you would come to each one of us now and speak to us through this word in Jesus' name. So I'm going to read a portion of the text now. And as I read it, let me invite you to notice if a word or phrase from this text stands out for you. And if something resonates, word or phrase in this text, just hold it there in your mind. You don't need to do anything with it. You don't need to think about it. Just let it be that word or that phrase. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And so in the couple of minutes of silence now, just hold in your mind any word or phrase that stood out for you there. If you didn't get one, don't panic. I'm going to read this text a few more times yet. But if you have one, just hold it there in your mind before the Lord.
I'm going to reread the text once more. And this time, as you hear your word or your phrase, listen for how the passage connects with your life. Is that word or phrase speaking to something in your life, something with your family or your career, your church, your wider community, something from the past, a hope for the future perhaps? Where does your word or phrase connect with your life? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? I'm going to read the text a third time. This time, listen for your response to God. If he's begun pointing out something in the text, something in your life, notice how you're responding. Tell him how you feel about it, what you think about it. and see what he says back to you. And don't say just the things you think he wants to hear. Give him the unvarnished version. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And now this final time that I read the text. Remember who it is that's speaking, it's Jesus. And if you can, just turn your eyes on Jesus. You might be able to see him in your imagination. You might have to do that entirely by faith, but he's here. Let him be your satisfaction and trust that if he's been speaking to you, he'll pick this up with you in time. And that he'll take this at a pace you can handle. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be 
for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. So, Lord, we do turn our eyes on you. We thank you, almighty God, that by your spirit you authored this text. That you caused Matthew to record faithfully all that Jesus did and said at this time. And we thank you that you invite us into the text to encounter you as a living person, that you speak from that text directly into our lives. And I pray for each one today to whom you've spoken, that where your word has brought challenge, you would strengthen them to face that challenge. And that they would also feel a deep sense of your presence with them and your love for them. I pray for each one today who's felt an invitation from you into something new. Would you send confirmation after confirmation in coming days that they might know it was you who spoke? And then would you cause doors to open, doors that have been closed, might they now come open in the name of Jesus? And for those, Lord, to whom you've spoken in what the Bible calls dark speech, speech that is confused, that is like parables, that is hidden, those for whom perhaps they sense only darkness and silence, God, we trust that even then you have yet spoken. And we pray that the fruit of those words, God, silent words, dark words, would yet come to fruition in each one's life. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.